Thought Leadership Studio. You're listening to Thought Leadership Studio, the podcast that helps you master high-level positive mass influence to create distinctive business niches, captivate an audience, grow your following, and change the game by changing the frame with strategic thought leadership. Thought Leadership Studio. Welcome to Thought Leadership Studio. This is episode 47, an interview with Tom Jacobs, the impact pilot and founder of the Jacobs Effect. This is all about storytelling and captivating an audience. I'm your host, Chris McNeil, strategic thought leadership coach and consultant. And what this episode will do for you is help you discover Tom Jacobs' journey from the fitness industry to becoming the impact pilot, a sales coach, and founder of the Jacobs Effect. To discover how to craft your signature story using a structured framework that resonates emotionally with your audience. To learn the importance of asking the right questions in sales conversations to lead prospects towards meaningful decisions. To gain practical techniques to build confidence, reduce nervousness, and enhance your public speaking and presentation skills and to uncover the connection between impactful stories and effective sales strategies and how they intersect to drive business growth. Now, before we dive more deeply, it's a reminder about what this podcast is for. Thought Leadership Studio is a workshop in strategic positive influence. So you can consider this podcast an ongoing workshop to help you attain even more peak performance in your thought leadership. Think of the episodes as your library for self-training as a high-performing thought leader. And before I dive into this further, I want to remind you that if you're listening on an app, check out the link in the episode description and that will take you to the episode page on thoughtleadershipstudio.com, which has extra resources, a different perspective, that which fits better on a web page than on an audible podcast episode to fill out your learning in this area, as well as links to some free offers. So in this episode, we have the privilege of interviewing master storyteller Tom Jacobs, a.k.a. The Impact Pilot. Tom is a versatile entrepreneur and sales coach as well as a master storyteller. Tom's life story is a tapestry woven with diverse experiences, resilience, and the art of selling. Starting as a teenage DJ with an innate knack for direct response marketing, Tom's creative flair led him to connect with brides-to-be through snail mail, offering DJ services and even a string quartet. A stint in oil and gas followed, but his entrepreneurial spirit persisted. And a transformative moment came when Tom ventured into the fitness industry. He bought a personal training facility in 2008, struggled initially, and realized the vital role of sales. 
Embracing storytelling, he turned the tide, increasing revenue from 100000 to 500000 within a year. Tom's prowess as a coach flourished as he empowered fitness professionals worldwide, generating over $4 million in sales during workshops and presentations. Today, he helps service providers harness the magic of storytelling to elevate sales and deepen connections. Beyond business, Tom's a flying enthusiast, a global explorer, and a passionate educator. His Germany epitomizes adaptability, resourcefulness, and the transformative impact of storytelling in entrepreneurship. Tom Jacobs is an embodiment of success through narrative. So without further ado, let's jump right into the interview. Thought Leadership Studio. So I'm Chris McNeil, your host of Thought Leadership Studio, and I'm sitting here with Tom Jacobs. Tom Jacobs has a gig called the Impact Pilot. He's a sales coach, founder of the Jacobs Effect, and he was a, in the fitness business for a while. He's been an entrepreneur for 30 plus years. He sold his business, which he owned for nine years, to become the Impact Pilot, helping entrepreneurs generate more income through better sales strategy and using stories to sell. Welcome, Tom. Hey, good to be here, Chris. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. And uh, just to kind of set the stage for our listeners, um, what was the key moment that led you to decide to create this concept of the impact pilot? And what does it mean to you? Well, what, what, what it means to me and what it should mean to other people if, if I got it right. Um, so after I sold my fitness business, I just kind of went on this inward journey of like, what do I do when I grow up? Uh -huh. And, uh, it's, it's almost like you graduate from college when you sell a business that you've been in for 10 years. And, um, so I was, didn't know really what I wanted to do. So, but I knew I was really good at coaching and coaching salespeople. And I had, you know, made tons of money by selling, programs on the stage. So doing small workshops and traveling all over the world, selling these programs from the stage. And um, I was like, you know, if I combine those two, then I could create something. And so I was working with a coach to kind of figure out the branding and all that. And I am a, I'm a licensed pilot for single engine uh, planes. Oh. And then I, so it's like, ah, how can I tie that in? Because kind of cool <laughs> in my world it is anyway and uh I was like well I'd like to have an impact on people's businesses so hence impact pilot was born and when my my pilot friends when they were they're like so what what's your title now I said impact pilot so what are you crashing planes or like what like you should be doing that I was like well not, not that oh, yeah, impact has multiple meetings right <laughs> impact but an impact right yeah. So we want to have an impact on our audience. We don't want the wrong kind of impact with our plane. That's uh, My uncle was a pilot. He scared the hell out of me when I was like 10 years old, took me in his little Cessna and decided to show to, to do a little dive bomb stunt and a couple of things. And I didn't, I, didn't like it. I didn't quite get airsick, but it was pretty thrilling, actually. 
When I was when I was twelve, one of I was in Boy Scouts, and one of the Scout leaders had a plane, and that's what get, get, got me the bug to go get uh, licensed. So, yeah. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, and the metaphor of the plane is is kind of interesting. I remember um, there's a story, and uh, I used to ride motorcycles a lot before I had a life-changing accident. I'm still here, so it wasn't a life-ending accident. Uh, and a lot of, I guess, speed freaks um, tend to be both motorcyclists and pilots because there's several pilots who are uh, riders in my group. That would be me too. And they had a story about the $100 hamburger where yes. uh, it was just an excuse uh, to go get a hamburger that was famous in some restaurant in the middle of Texas as an excuse to fly your plane somewhere. That's right. And I've been to that airport. It's, uh, it is almost uh, an hour and a half from Houston. So I was in Houston for 20 years. Oh, so right. we would fly up. Yeah. So we would fly up uh, there. It's in the middle of nowhere. It's on the field. And they have like this 50s uh, theme to it. Yeah. But there's several different airports where you can fly in, and they call it the hundred dollar hamburger because it costs you a hundred bucks in gas to right. just get there. Exactly, exactly. But it is the reason to go. You know, we made motorcycles. We wanted a reason to journey and just ride out through the countryside. So the destination was part of it, but the journey was part of it too. So absolutely. Tell me a little bit about your journey and 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 how you've managed to take this the skills and the resources that you built and, and starting in the fitness industry and, and now and how you're helping people create an impact from a stage, which I think is very yeah. relevant to the type of listeners I understand we have. Yeah. So when I had, when I started my fitness business, I'd, I'd spent 12 years in corporate America <laughs> doing logistics work and when I when I opened up my fitness business, you know, it's like uh, this should be no problem. And I've had small businesses before, but this was this was very different because one, it was pretty large scale. Mm -hmm. um, it was personal training studio, um, but there's a lot of traffic and a lot of money involved in terms of upkeep and equipment and and all that. And I didn't have a safety net when I went into it either. I didn't have. A, I quit my job to open the fitness business. And within six months, I almost went broke because I did not know how to sell. I, I um, told people, they were like, well, what do you mean you don't know how to sell? I was like, well, I couldn't close a door. Um, <laughs> when, when you can't close a deal, you can't close a door. Um, so I had to learn how to sell. And you know, within six months, you know, that I almost exhausted all my money all my savings for the business. And I was like, something has to change. So I went head first into learning all about sales, sales psychology, the psychology of buying. Um, I hired a coach to help me as well. And I, I completely changed my mindset when it came to sales, because I thought, you know, as a fitness trainer, I'm in the health and wellness industry. You know, people come to me, they're vulnerable. You know, you shouldn't have to make them do something that they don't want to do. And I was just having like, basically telling people the price and expecting them to buy. <laughs> so, and, and that wasn't working very well. So it was, it was, it's all about, and what I developed then is asking the right questions in the right order to get the right answer. So, and the right answer is that they ultimately buy. Once I perfected that, like I used to close like maybe 10%, other people that would walk into my fitness studio after 
I was closing like 80% of the people that were coming in and sitting down with me for a consultation. Because if they're coming in to the fitness center for a consultation, they're ready to buy. That's, yeah, that's a commitment right there. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're if you're not having an 80, 90, you know, 100% close rate, uh, you shouldn't have a 100% close rate. That's that's my theory anyway. If you have a 100% close rate, then your prices are too low. Right. So, um, so I, I had to learn. And in this last six months of that year, like we blew it out of the water. So I went from... You know, the very first year, even though the first six months were a complete disaster, um, the full year I did about a hundred thousand in revenue. The second year I did five hundred thousand. So like four times or five times um five X in terms of just learning the skill of selling. Mm -hmm. And that's that's what propelled me to then teach other fitness professionals how to sell. So that was a, another side gig that I had. I was actually working for a coaching company that had a sales program. They had coaching for fitness pros. And I ultimately became one of their, their top salespeople. And that's when I started traveling around the world presenting, you know, I did a five hour workshop for fitness people and all about how to build your business, how to sell, how to, you know, market everything five hours. And on the back end of that, I would offer the program and, I was, I sold $4 million of that program in three years. That's fantastic. Was, yeah. And primarily from the stage. So, and so uh -huh. yeah, go ahead. Well, I'm just, I'm just trying to play my role as listener advocate. And, <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there are people listening to this wondering, well, how does this apply to me? How can this help me sell ideas? And I think selling fitness and selling ideas is really equivalent because Fitness is an intangible. You're selling somebody on the future vision, the belief that they can change their body, that they can create more health, more vitality, more energy. And what what are some of the key components that might have surprised you that were a part of selling that you did not realize before you had that breakthrough from opening your your fitness business and realizing you had to learn to sell? Yeah, yeah. Any so whatever you're selling, that's not what you're selling. So if that, if that makes any sense whatsoever. So in the fitness business, I thought I was selling the workouts. That hour session with me or half an hour session with me, that's what I was selling. Well, then you sell that's, pain. <laughs> exactly. Well, I was selling something that nobody wants. Right. right. Nobody wants to work out. You know, that's why there's an obesity problem in America. Uh, but what they wanted was the end result. And that was the light bulb moment for me in terms of shifting. And whether you're selling widgets or ideas, it's what's the outcome, what's the result somebody will have from implementing that idea or buying that widget? Um, what What is it that they want? And that's ultimately what you're selling, not the thing itself. Mm -hmm. And how do you lead people to create this vision of what they want and believe in it enough to in invest their money in it. Yeah. So it's all in the quality of the questions that you ask. So um, the rule of thumb that I have in, in, in all sales, all really good salespeople uh, should have as well is that you should be listening much more than you're talking. And as my mom says, God gave us two ears and one mouth, use them proportionately. Mm -hmm. So the sales conversation, whoever is talking the most is ultimately going to buy. 
So if the salesperson is talking the most, they're buying the excuse. If the prospect is talking the most, they're most likely going to buy the program. So when the when you're asking those questions, the questions are for the prospect to understand what do they want, what they've tried in the past that hasn't worked for them, why they want it, like what's their motivation, and then why do they want it now? And that's the what, why, what, why framework that I take uh, people through. Those are the only four questions really you need to be asking. And then you can kind of drill down on each of those uh, when needed. And how do you see the role of marketing versus the role of sales? That's the question I like to ask people who are in sales and or marketing, because it's a different perspective to me, but people have different opinions about it. Yeah, well, my mark, marketing gets that lead in front of you. Sales converts that lead into a paying customer. So sales, once, once somebody kind of raises their hand, that's marketing. So marketing is... However, you get somebody to say, yeah, I'm kind of interested. Tell me more. Mm -hmm. Marketing is done at that point. Once that person's raised their hand, now they're a prospect to me. A lead to me is somebody that's just raised their hand. Or that's we're, we're looking at. And they raise their hand. Now they're saying, hey, I'm really interested. Now they become a prospect. And that is where the shift from marketing to sales takes place. Once, once somebody raises their hand and says, contact me. So the job of marketing is to get them to raise their hand. The job of sales is to get them to take that hand, reach around and grab their wallet and pull out a credit card, basically. Exactly. And of course, for the higher benefit that we're offering. And the, you're a storyteller. Hmm. Um, what's a good story that would illuminate this process of asking questions? And, and how that extracts the right state of mind, the right information to enable someone to persuade someone to take steps to better themselves through what they're offering them. Yeah. So the, the, the questions are different than the actual story itself. Uh, this, the story can be your own personal story of why you're passionate about the program that you're offering. So for me, my kind of signature story was my own body transformation, where in 12 weeks, I lost 40 pounds of fat, gained 10 wow. pounds of muscle, and got my cholesterol under control and my high blood pressure under control, all without medication. That's awesome. So when I, yeah, thanks. And when I tell people that story, now they can relate, They're, or they can they believe that I can relate to them. Because I'm, I'm sure when you were selling fitness as well, you know, you're standing there, you're the fitness trainer, and you know, usually you're in pretty good shape. And the people are like, Oh, I don't, I, you don't understand, you don't have to work so hard. And when I show my before and after picture, they're like, Okay, I got it. Yeah, you know, what did you do? And I tell them what, and then they're like, Okay, I'll sign up for a year or whatever it happens. To be. By so the, the story, yeah, so the story and you know, your personal story doesn't always have to relate to what you're selling either. It can be, it can show like how much you care. It can show that you've gone through some really good times and that's why you're able to do what you're able to do now. It can show that you went through some tragedy that got you to a point where now you're, you do what you do. Um, so, I mean, it could be lots of different stories that you could pull from that create that 
rapport and that trust with the prospect. And then the second story that you should always have prepared is testimonial stories or case study stories of previous clients that you've helped and you know why they came in, what the process was, and then what the result was once they um, achieved their success. So it kind so of the follows a storyline of facing and overcoming challenges. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, the structure that I use is the, the hero's journey. Oh, very familiar with it. Joseph Campbell's yep. work. Yeah. Love it. Yep. yep. So, and it's, you know, basically in the public domain and lots of people use it. Every good Hollywood's movie uses the hero's journey. Sure. And I, I can't break it down into the, the main points on there. And that's, you know, an inciting moment, or I call it the impact moment. So that's when there's like a do or die, you had to make a decision, something was really happening at that point. For me, my impact moment was the visit to the doctor where he told me I had high blood pressure and high cholesterol and I was 40 pounds overweight. Ah, so the doctor was your herald figure. Uh, the doctor was the inciting moment. He actually became the villain in my story. Oh, did he? <laughs> okay. Yeah, because because he wanted me on the medication and he didn't want me to do the diet and exercise necessarily. Uh, interesting. It wasn't that he didn't want me to, he just didn't tell me that that was a solution as well. <laughs> like, well, here's some medication for you to take to get that under control. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. like there's something else I could do. Like, yeah. do I have to take medication? Um, like, well, you could do diet and exercise, but nobody really does that. So just take the medication. Interesting. Right. Yeah, and I'm very familiar from my own background of fitness of how there are doctors who are fitness advocates, but there's mm -hmm. also a lot that are not as much as they should be. Yeah, yeah, they're more. Uh, it surprises the heck out of me. It surprises me how little some know about it. Yeah, because they, they get an MD, you don't really have to take exercise physiology, and the nutrition. Yeah. I had a doctor tell me, said, so, "Well, the nutrition they taught us was what you put in an IV when somebody's laying on a hospital bed, not what you eat day to day to achieve high levels." But it's about the medical field is. Uh, a break fix system, you know, the medical field is oriented yeah. around fixing something that's broken and the fitness field is around envisioning uh, something better, going beyond yeah. the norm, not being average, not getting your health back to average, but, you know, the joy of living at high levels of health, where your yeah. body has the capacity to perform at high levels, you just feel great all the time. Well, it's yeah, a very absolutely. satisfying field. Yeah, yeah. And so... When you're working with helping people create more impact, mm -hmm. you're the impact pilot. How, if someone came to you and said, hey, I am working on my thought leadership. I want to be able to really enrapture an audience. I want to be able to engage their attention, pull them into a story. And I'm having trouble doing that. I feel tentative up there. The words don't come to me. How do you help them? Where do you start and, and where do you lead them to? What kind of tools do you use that might be relevant and helpful so our listeners can say, oh, I see how I could do that or I see how I could do that? Yeah, yeah. So I, I take them through a, a framework um, to create, to find and create that story, that that signature story of theirs. And that's actually the, the gift that I would love to give to your uh, audience as well is just it's a workbook on how to do that just step by step through it. The, right. the different steps. So, well, um, cool. 
Um, and so the very first thing that I do is, is figure out what are the stories that, that we have to deal with. Everybody has stories. And what I ask everybody to do is not to just basically do a brainstorm and, and don't put any criteria around the story like, oh, that was a bit, nah, that wasn't that big of a deal or, or whatever. Don't put any kind of um, notion onto that story, but just write, write the event down and just get a good laundry list of, of events in your life that had an impact. Mm -hmm. And the other, the other word of caution is don't just go for the tragedies. There should be some comedies as well in those stories. Because a lot of people just go right towards like the near-death experience or or something like that. That oh, I really want a good story. It has to be like rags to riches or near death, or and it doesn't need to be. It can be a, a really happy story as as well. Uh, so we get take that inventory. The the second thing is to figure out which story then has the most emotional impact to the storyteller. Mm -hmm. And so what I have them do is go down the list while I'm watching, and kind of put themselves into that story. So what, you know, just put, put yourself back into that time and place that that story happened. And what I'm looking for is some type of physical reaction. So do they start to breathe a little bit differently? Do they shift around in their seat? Are they getting a little uncomfortable? Are they smiling? Are they crying? You know, all the different things that could happen as they're kind of looking at those stories. And the one that has the most reaction is usually the, the best one that we have. Right. That that's creating some type of emotional charge within the storyteller, and when it does that in the storyteller, they're going to be able to convey that onto their audience, which makes a much more compelling story. So that's that that's the most important piece. In the, the, those first two is to get the inventory of stories, and then find out which one has the most most emotional impact. Okay. And then we go through and write out the story, and then rearrange it to fit the the structure of the hero's journey and then practice, 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 practice. So it's a rehearsal. Rehearsal. Yeah. Absolutely. I remember a, it was an audio on sales training. I listened to a long time ago. And one of the, one of the speakers said that think about the Indianapolis 500, the pit stops mm. and how this team is orchestrated around getting a car in and out of the change in the tires or fueling it up. They're doing A, B, C, and D. They only get that way through repetitive practice to get to perfect. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Or the, and that's, that's what gets rid of the nerves as well. The, the, the times that I've been the most nervous up on stage were times where I wasn't prepared. And so then, then it's like, Oh, what do I say next? And then you come across as, a real idiot up on stage sure. versus, you know, really planning and rehearsing. And I, and I get from some people that are like, Oh, I like to be spontaneous up on stage and not have everything scripted. I'm like, Oh, good luck with that. Cause you don't know what's going to happen. And if you're, if you're have your outline, your scripting, whether it's word for word or, um, or bullet pointed out, like it doesn't, you need to have a structure and you need to have practiced that in order to really give a good performance of, of that presentation. And that's actually the kind of what I call taking people through the three Ps, which is coming up with a presentation first or the story first. Mm -hmm. And then we go into the performance and then uh -huh. ultimately we get the profits uh, from that story. Interesting. So the three Ps. 
So for this rehearsal, say somebody's going through this process, they have made an inventory of meaningful experiences in their life that they could translate into compelling stories that have emotional impact. Yep. And they're starting to map these and step back into those. And of course, they have you as a coach. And of course, I'm a big believer in coaching too. I've done co lots of coaching and I've had coaching from gurus that make tremendous impact in my life as well. Um, but you're helping them to organize that around the hero's journey, which as I recall, you know, it takes you out of the ordinary life into the magical adventure. And right. it's usually the herald, usually some reluctance to follow the journey. And then there, there's a mentor figure and then there's adversaries to overcome the guardians of the threshold of change. Yeah. Yep. And, and the battles of the guardians of the threshold of change is what raptures audiences and movies, you know, and then, then of course there's the gaining of, of this new magical ability that you then can bring back to the villagers <laughs> or wherever you came from. Uh, yeah. so you're helping to map it along this. And what's the setting for the rehearsal? Do you actually just, as a coach, watch them do that? Do you have them video themselves or audio record themselves and, and critique it? Or what? what's the standpoint in the, in the setting? Yeah, so, well, we first, you know, most everything's done, you know, through Zoom um nowadays anyway sure um and then even the even the perform or the the uh, practice and the rehearsals as well but you know i'll have them record themselves as well on video so that i can see movement uh as well uh and then if they actually do a presentation in front of a live audience i ask them to record that as well so then i can give some critiques on um what they were doing live because you know, audience reactions tell you so much about what they're feeling and what's happening during that story or during that presentation. So I, I like to look at all of that to help uh, really improve that that presentation. And what would be some examples of points that you'd work on polishing and improving in presentations that seem to be systemic because they come up regularly? Yeah. Um, so like the the whole idea that they need to memorize the words. Uh, that's that's not necessary, but you do need to practice and then have, maybe you have some slides or you have some notes on the, on the floor or something like that, just to keep you on track. Um, I always have just, you know, a PowerPoint with just images that keep me on track. So I know kind of where I am in the, in the presentation. Um, the other thing is a lot of people like to pace when they're giving a presentation. So back and forth, it becomes like a tennis show or tennis match. And the audience gets really tired going back and forth, trying to keep track of somebody. So I have a rule. You can talk, you can walk, but you don't do both at the same time. So we actually use the, the natural pauses that you would put into a presentation uh -huh. as the time to move to another location. But we, once we're talking and we're presenting, we stick in that one location until there's time to then move to the next. Oh, that's an excellent point. And I like how you bring in the awareness of the audience reaction, because it's certainly a, a loop of communication. Yeah. It's of course yeah. difficult when, for those of us who do things like webinars 
yes, very videos or courses on video, but we have to imagine the audience. Do you have any tips for that for people who are doing like webinars or you're thinking, hey, I need to do like I am in some cases. So we yeah. have this audio podcast and we're starting to now think about, well, how can we utilize YouTube as a way to bring in another audience? And we've yeah. got all these video clips, but how can we get better at presenting in video when we don't have the feedback of the audience in front of us? Yeah, that it is difficult. So what in, this, this is a good trick if you're doing any type of video work. So if you're doing a promo video or a live on Facebook or doing a webinar, is to have somebody behind the camera that you're actually talking to. Uh, a real live, you know, your assistant, your brother, sister, husband, wife, whomever, somebody behind the camera. So now you have that energy of somebody else, especially if you're just starting out. Um, the other thing you could do is just put a picture behind the camera. So then you can kind of see that, okay, it's somebody that I'm talking to mm -hmm. versus um, just kind of staring at yourself on the screen. and if like there's like chats that are going on there's webinars or, or there's so much going on that's non-feedback that um, it, it can be very, very confusing. So, you know, I always recommend that you get somebody else in the room so that you can talk to them. So it feels a lot more natural. And then once you get used to it, then you don't, you don't need that. Let's get used to maybe at that point, you have a mental model of that person in the room with you that you can reference and, you know, I go way back to when phones were the big way of selling. <laughs> you had to make phone appointments. Uh, I didn't like cold calling, but I certainly didn't mind calling warm leads. After I learned a couple of things that helped me turn it into a little bit of an art form. And one is learning that the salespeople who are most effective at closing people over the phone or getting appointments and getting positive response, envision the person. Even if they never met them, they'd make a mental image of what they would assume they'd look like. You know what freaked me out is when I would do that and they would look exactly like I envisioned them. I mean, beards <laughs> and things. I'm like, this is freaking me out. How did that happen? <laughs> and, the other, and the other thing, and I it, just for your feedback too and response, is the frame that when you're selling, you're not so much, quote, selling someone as you're creating a buying environment. Right, exactly. And, and, and enough rapport and trust and information at hand that you're providing from a point of view that they don't have yet that can help them organize their thinking and get the kind of clarity that they need to, to make an intelligent buying decision. That's right. Yeah. I don't consider my, like, I don't consider myself selling anything. I allow people to purchase. That's an excellent frame. Yeah, and yeah. that naturally begets more poor because you have their best interest in heart. You're there to serve them and you don't want to sell them more than they need, but you don't yeah. want to sell them less than they need. And if you have that kind of empathy and you know that what you do is going to enrich your lives far beyond the energy exchange of them paying something for, which actually you feel like fitness and personal training, which I can relate to, that energy exchange of money is extremely important because it's a self-accountability step for them to make the best 100%. use of what you're selling them. So if you give it away, it's actually not as much value. Yep. And, and if you make a real sacrifice and the people that really stretch to make a sacrifice, you get the most out of it because that energy exchange dynamic. So 
Um, give, so give us an example, if you would, of a, a story of someone you've worked with, you know, with as much as you're willing to share over a podcast. I know you need to keep certain client things anonymous um, so it can be an anonymous client or share what you wish about how you took someone or an organization from A to B. And it was a, a, a thrilling experience of the hero's journey for them where they overcame obstacles and gained new skills. Yeah. Yeah, the one that really sticks out is uh, Fatima. And uh, so she's done her story, you know, many, many times after we've uh, worked together. So nothing is outside of the the, the privilege, I guess. Um, but her story was very interesting. So she's a silver medalist in from the Atlanta Games for, I think it was the 1600 relay. So it was a, wow. a four-person relay, and they they won silver medal. Um, and so great runner. She was a fitness professional and had a fitness boot camp that, she, that was struggling. And uh, I think she was out in California. And so she came to me and she's like, you know, I want to start talking more and presenting more to get more clients ultimately. And she said, you know, can you help me? And I said, of course I can help you. And the first thing that we started with was the the stories, like the story inventory. And we only needed one because her life story was is just absolutely incredible. So she grew up in Africa, forget which country, um, but basically very, 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 very poor. Um, at 12 years old, was basically sold into slavery to a 50-year-old man. And she didn't want to have anything to do with that, of course. And in fact, a couple of times she had attempted to kill herself because of the prospect of um, having to marry this old guy when she was only like 12 years old. And so she started, she actually ran away from her home village. And that's kind of the theme of her, you know, becoming a runner. Uh, so she ran away from, from that environment, came across some missionaries that took her under her, their wing, gave her education, got her coaching for running and because she was very, very talented. And she ultimately became part of the national team of her country. And then one funny story she always <laughs> tells is, is going to Canada for the first time. So on this airplane full of all these white people and, and going, oh, your hair, it's so, so different. And, and she just talks about just the differences because she had not gr grown up around you know, other, other folks. And, um, but ultimately she got out of that environment and got to uh, the Olympics from, from running. So that, that, that's her life story. And so we crafted that story into a presentation. She presented it at her church for the first time. And so I was like, oh, that's good. So it's a good, good audience. That's <laughs> going to be very respectful. And, you know, if she messes up, it'll be fine. Everybody will love it. She goes through that. She tells me afterwards she got a standing ovation from the congregation after her, her um, talk. And then fast forward six months, she continues to do more speaking engagements. But six months later, her business has doubled. And she wasn't doing any like special marketing or hard selling from the stage or anything like that. She was telling her personal story about the passion she has about helping people get healthy and fit. And her personal story kind of ties very nicely into that. 
And just the fact that she was inspiring so many people, she, her business doubled in six months. That's powerful. I think that's extremely relevant to anyone working on what we call strategic thought leadership, which is recognizing that, you know, and in, in, in we look at it as a marketing strategy, but it's, it's more than that too, of course. Um, but in marketing, everybody's got access to the same media. Mm -hmm. Any social media is like drinking from a fire hose. Yeah, you know, because everybody's on it. So we got the media, then you got a, a set of methods and someone can have, you know, you got a standard digital agency toolkit of social media marketing, email marketing and, and search engine optimization, internet media in general, video, audio. So you have the, the methods, but really can engage an audience it's all about honing a message that resonates with people yep. and if you don't have the message and that's what's given short shift in marketing unless unless people really understand there's mechanics behind it and you're revealing some of these mechanics and mm -hmm. I, I think that's power i love the idea of inventorying it, it, taking an inventory because anybody listening can do that and sit down and take a pen and pad or a digital notebook or a laptop, whatever they use to journal with mm. and, and start making an inventory of impactful experiences that they could share with others. And when we look at organizational marketing, then there's going to be an origin story behind the cut. Maybe the founder solved the problem in a unique way. It was working for a business like I was, I was in the fitness business when I was 18 years old running large chain health clubs before I opened my studios. And it was um, seeing what was wrong with that model to me was the big box health club model is sell as many memberships as you can and hope most of them don't show up because you won't be able to sell right. so cheap. It's competing on price, hoping people don't come. It wasn't oriented around the customer at all. <laughs> so it became part of the origin story. It's like, it's pretty something where we align customer <laughs> results with the financial interest of the business. So we all went together because this is not that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's some, there are stories that are probably embedded in people's memory that they just haven't given full recognition to that could be extremely powerful for them. Mm -hmm. well, so we think about the people listening who, who might be an entrepreneur, they might be a salesperson, they might be a solopreneur, they might be a leader of a business, a marketer, chief marketing officer of a large organization, maybe or marketing agency owner or content writer. Somehow they're in, a, they're in some kind of position where storytelling can be powerful for them. If you're to give them several things, say a list of three things they can take action on right away that would make a difference, what would those three be? Yep. And then to follow up on that, what's the best way for people to reach out to you if they want to connect with you or find out more about your services? Yeah, cool. So the three things that um, kind of three tips for creating a really good story is number one, take that inventory and, and don't be afraid to be a little vulnerable and choose the story that has the most emotional charge to you because that's going to have the most impact on your audience. The, the second is um, when, 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 when putting that story together, so many people want to start chronologically and start at the beginning of the story. 
and I urge you not to do that, um, to start with the defining moment. The, and that might be halfway through the story. It might be close to the end of the story chronologically. But we always start with that because that's going to grab the audience's attention. And then you can go back and what led up to that point. And you can tell the story of what led up to there and then what you learned after um, and the struggles that went along to that point, which is what people love to hear is the struggles, but then also how you overcame the struggles as well. Um, so that's uh, the top two tips that I have. And then the third is whenever you're presenting is to be very mindful of where you are in your space. So your physical space, uh, because that, you know, now when you're presenting in front of an audience, whether that's, you know, one person or a hundred people, how you present yourself has a lot to do with the end result that you get. So like for a, a, somebody that's speaking on stage is, you know, be purposeful about where you stand and where you're presenting your stories and your, your presentation. So those would be my top three tips on um, storytelling and presenting. And then for um, like how to contact me. So we have that um, storybook workbook uh, that I want to give to everybody. So the best way is actually just on my website, uh, tomjacobs.com. And that's T-O-M-J-A-C-K-O-B-S.com. And then forward slash storybook. And they can uh, download that uh, that free gift. And then all my other social media and all that is all linked up on the website as well. Fantastic. And I will certainly link to that from the episode page. And for you, the listener, if you're listening on an app, make sure you click on the link in the episode description. That'll take you to the episode page rather than link to um, Tom's resources and have a little pictorial story to help encapsulate Tom's story, which has been very enlightening. I really appreciate you, Tom. This has been, this has been uh, I think, extremely helpful and extremely relevant to the people that listen to this. Thanks for having me, Chris. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Thought Leadership Studio. Thanks again for listening to Thought Leadership Studio, your ongoing workshop in positive mass influence. In this podcast, I aim to help the listener access their creative inspiration and harness it to design strategic thought leadership that empowers your audience, your prospects, your customers, and your followers with high-level influence and learning. The intention is to make this accessible, make it deep, by presenting learning in layers with simple and memorable takeaways for conscious learning and more advanced skills building integrated for those who want the deeper dive. And of course, we support it with the website thoughtleadershipstudio.com. We support it with these interviews with models of thought leadership excellence. And in this case, the model of excellence was Tom Jacobs crafting a signature story with a structured framework. The importance of asking the right questions, practical techniques for confidence building, and the connection between powerful stories that resonate using 
the archetype structure of the hero's journey drawn from your own personal experience, rehearsed to a T, rehearsed to perfection, and delivered with emotion to captivate an audience and lead them through your own thought leadership journey to the destination that you are taking them. So thanks again for listening. Make sure you subscribe if you haven't. Make sure you give a review if you haven't. Make sure you go to thoughtleadershipstudio.com and check out the free resources there if you haven't. The episode link is in the description. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to seeing you next week. Thought Leadership Studio. Thought Leadership Studio.